Hello, everybody. Great to have you here at Portico. If you're visiting today for the very first time, we would like to welcome you. Good to have you here. For those of you who are joining us from our video cafe or from our other venues, we welcome you also. We are one church, many expressions, but one message. We link in by way of video, we broadcast in, and you have a chance to join us, and we welcome you also. I'm going to ask our ushers at this time to, uh, to get hold of Bibles, walk down the aisle. If you are sitting here and you don't have a Bible, will you raise your hand real high so that the ushers can see you? You can borrow the Bible, you can use it. When you're done, just leave it on the seat and we'll take care of it. So keep your hand raised real high and our ushers will find you, and so you can have a Bible this morning. For the rest of us, you can turn your electronic devices. You can go to uversion.com. Uh, look for live events. You will find Mississauga Portico is listed there, and you can take your notes that way. Or you can go the old-fashioned way. You can uh, just take the, the bulletin. Uh, the, there's an insert there for sermon notes. Uh, take that out, and you can join me, and we can follow together. In the East or in India, I used to pastor for, I pastored for about seven years. And uh, it was quite normal uh, in the East that you would start a sermon with an apology. Uh, the air conditioner is not working, sorry, the sound system is giving some trouble. Then I moved to the West. I moved to USA. I lived there for over six years. And I soon discovered that it was quite normal to start, start a sermon with a joke. Now, right here in Canada, in, in Portico, where East meets West, Please allow me to start my sermon this morning with an apology that I don't have a joke for you today. <laughs> Having put that to rest, uh, let me quickly move on. We are, doing, we are going to look at the book of Jeremiah. We are doing a series called The Journey. The tagline is Ordinary People on a Quest of Faith. And we are going to focus on hope for the hopeless. Hope for the hopeless. The book of Jeremiah received its name from its author, the celebrated 7th century prophet of Judah. Jeremiah was called to be a prophet to the nations, not a priest like his father or his grandfather. He came 70 years after Isaiah. Isaiah was the first or one of the first of the major prophets. Jeremiah, in the same manner, is highly regarded as a prophet of God. In Matthew chapter 16, verse number 13, Jesus asked his disciples, Who do people say the Son of Man is? In verse number 14, the disciples replied, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and some others, Jeremiah. It is not surprising that some mistook the man of sorrows for Jeremiah, for Jeremiah is called the weeping prophet. Both Jeremiah and Christ, they both lamented and they wept for their contemporaries. They wept for their nation. They wept for the people around them. Jeremiah is prophesying when both Jerusalem and the temple are destroyed. Israel is forsaken by God and people are left wondering when God would rescue them. The people have been in 70 years of exile. Judah was in exile because of Babylon. This is a time of great hopelessness. We can find parallels to the Christmas story. By the time we arrive at the book of Matthew in the New Testament, Israel is confronted with 400 years of silence from God. 
God has not spoken. In the Old Testament, the book of prophets, they have been placed in the order of time and in the order of size. The book of Jeremiah is presenting to us 66 chapters. Right after Jeremiah, we find prophet, right after Isaiah, we find prophet Jeremiah, and he's giving us prophecies. And these prophecies are contained in 52 chapters. Isaiah, 66 chapters. Jeremiah, 52 chapters. We can read over 40 years of preaching contained in this one single book. Isaiah is the longest. Jeremiah is slightly shorter than Isaiah. These are days when God is speaking through the prophets. 62 chapters, 52 chapters. You can go to Ezekiel and you'll find again a lot of chapters. God is speaking. Then we arrive at the book of Matthew. We find 400 years, for over 400 years, God has not spoken to the prophet. Not a word. The people are living in bondage. They are under the Roman rule. They are longing and waiting for the promised Messiah. But not a word. They want to be free. And there is a picture of total hopelessness. Because God is silent. You are here today, your life may be messed up, do you feel like this, do you feel that you are here without hope, is part of your life shaken up, is part of your life ripped away, do you feel God is not speaking to you, you don't even know if he loves you or he cares for you, a simple understanding of the word exile is a place where you don't want to be. You don't want to be going through sickness, loss of job, death, tragedy. These are places where we don't want to be. Some of us might be sitting here and we feel like we are in exile and God is not speaking to us. It is in such a context that we are going to read from Jeremiah chapter 31. Verse number 31 to verse number 34, and I'm going to read for you in the New International Version. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. A new covenant. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand and led them out of Egypt. Because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their people and I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, know the Lord, because they will all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. As we read this passage of scripture, we realize that the promise of a new covenant is appearing for the first time in the Old Testament. What is astonishing about this passage is that Jeremiah was born 600 to 650 years before Jesus. In the Eastern world, we have Confucius and we have Buddha. In in the West, we have Plato and we have Aristotle who are shaping the Western thought. 
Jeremiah prophesied during the time of Daniel and during the time of Habakkuk. Now we are familiar with the word convene or convention. It is coming together of two parties. The word covenant comes from the same root word. It is mentioned 292 times in the scriptures. And the word testament, which is an alternative word, is mentioned 14 times from the book of Matthew to Revelation. Covenant is usually a formal, solemn, binding written agreement or a promise. In simple words, it's an agreement. It's a pact or a treaty or a contract or a pledge or a promise or a commitment to do something. There's a huge gap between God and man. Since the people have sinned and they have hardened their hearts, God has come to us to bridge the gap. It is God, not man, who is making this commitment, who is making this great promise. He is letting us know that the promise He gives will never be broken. God's new covenant changes my perspective. Number one, it's there in your notes. God's new covenant changes my perspective from a God of the people to a God who is personal. From a God of the people to a God who is personal. I find it significant and interesting that the longest quotation of any Hebrew Bible passage in the New Testament is found in Hebrews chapter 8, verse 8 to 12. The author is quoting from the same passage we read today, from Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 31 to 34. It is part of the author's presentation in Hebrew that Jesus is the one who brings to us a better covenant. Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 33 reads, This is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time. Declares the Lord, I will put my law in their minds and I will write it on their hearts. Jeremiah predicts that God's law will be written on their hearts and minds. Of course, this is 600 years before Christ and it is yet to be fulfilled. Jeremiah is presenting to us the possibility of a personal relationship with God. I will be their God and they will be my people. They will all know me. It is from the least to the greatest. From here on out, anyone can know him. All of us can know him. Now, Mosaic Covenant had been etched on a tablet on stone. It was a general and, and corporate in nature. It was the priest who would know God, and he would go in the presence of God. And even then, it would be with fear, and it would be with trembling, and possibility of a potential death. In the Old Testament, we read about sacrifice. There had to be death. But with Jesus' blood sacrifice, we are now provided with a personal relationship and forgiveness of sins for every human being. I grew up in Calcutta, India. I remember when I was fairly young, my father took me to a famous temple in Calcutta. This was a special day at the temple when a goat sacrifice was going to take place. And the blood would be sprinkled by the priest of the temple. Goat sacrifice was performed to please God and get the blessings. I was told that the priests could sacrifice animals, 
but should only sacrifice male, go male goat. The animal has to be kept in a safe place without any wounds. And he had to be kept like that for three days. The goat must be cleansed with pure water and it must be decorated with flowers. The sword that is used must be washed and decorated. It must be decorated with chandan, which is holy sandalwood tree. It must be decorated with kumkum, which is powder used for religious markings made of either turmeric or saffron. And it must be decorated with flowers. The incense must be shown to the goat and it must be made ready for sacrifice. I'm going to be slightly graphic here. For cutting the goat, it must be held tight at the back and then you must cut the head in a single cut and the head should be rolled to the ground. Then the priest must move behind and see the goat bleeding to death without disturbing it. After it is completely dead, you must take the head and gift it to the priest. And then the goat's body is cut and distributed to the poor the next day. I remember seeing this as a child. While as a boy I saw this being done at the temple and being performed by the priest, as I grew up I personally became, I came to know that it was the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And I realized, just like Jeremiah has prophesied, that I could have a personal relationship with Jesus who died for my sins. Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 26 reads, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove you from your heart of stone and will give you a heart of flesh. Here is what God is offering to us today. God replaces our hard, stubborn, unresponsive, non-living heart of stone with a soft, cooperative, responsive, living heart of flesh. God is willing to change our rejection, our rejection of Him to an acceptance of Him. God is willing to change our rebellion against Him to a submission to Him. God is willing to change our determination to disobey Him with a, dis with a desire to obey Him. Prophet Jeremiah is saying that a remedy existed for people's wound and for rebelliousness. There's a remedy which exists for all of us. It is found in repentance and yet the people of God have not applied it. The medicine is available but we don't want to use it. A physician could heal their spiritual sickness. The prophet has come with God's word, but they have refused to consult him. And then we find again in history, because of God's grace and because of God's mercy, because of his loving kindness, his unfailing love, God is giving us a second chance. Don't you love that about God? He gives us a second chance. And in Luke chapter 2, verse number 11, it reads, Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. As we approach this Christmas season, let us remember the crux of our Christmas story. The new covenant is found in Jesus. 
John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whosoever believes in him will not perish but will have an everlasting life. Now the new covenant as a phrase does not get used in the scripture for over 600 years. Not until we arrive at Luke chapter 22 and verse number 20. And here we find Jesus holding the cup of wine and telling us, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. Imagine with me, we find 12 Jewish men seated here with Jesus in the context of the Jewish Passover. I can imagine a deathly eeriness that must have silenced all the disciples in the room. Jesus is introducing the new covenant after 600 years to the Jewish men in the context of the Jewish Passover. Just like prophet Jeremiah is giving us the glimpse of the new covenant 600 years before Christ. All of the disciples are Jews. They understand the concept of covenant. They probably understand the concept of covenant better than we do. The promises of Abrahamic and Mosaic and David's covenant would have been engraved in the Hebrew mindset. And here is Jesus with this new promise, with this new agreement, presenting it to them. Number two, for a God, from a God who was distant to a God who is near. From a God who was distant to a God who is near. We are being moved by Jesus from outward acts to inner realization and the possibility of Him dwelling with us. We are being moved from a general or corporate experience to realizing that He is with us. He walks with us. He talks with us. And we can have a personal relationship with this loving God. Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 33 reads, 33 and 34, I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor and say to one another, Know the Lord, because they will all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. Forgiveness of sin is now available to Amitabh. I don't have to go to a temple I don't have to look to a priest. I have a personal hotline to God. God is now making himself available to me. And God is now making himself available to you on a personal level. Matthew chapter 1 verse 22 and 23 reads, All this took place to fulfill what the Lord has said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Jesus is linking his new agreement, his new promise with the prophecy of Jeremiah. The disciples are now being opened to this new possibility, to a reality of God being our Emmanuel. God is with us. John chapter 1 verse number 14 underlines this. It says the word became flesh and is dwelling and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory. 
the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. It's amazing. Absolutely amazing. God's law nagged us from the outside. The gospel is changing us from the inside. The new agreement gets results where the old one failed. We have seen His glory. And now the grace and the love of God is available to me and it's available to you. Number three, from a feeling of despair to God's promise of hope. From a feeling of despair to God's promise of hope. Under the new agreement, the new promise, the gospel, here is how our relationship with God works. God forgives our sins and we have hope in Jesus Christ. As God promises to us hope in the midst of our despair, we need to understand how God works. God is in the business of using broken things. Broken cloud gives us rain. Broken soil sets us field. Broken crop yields seeds. It is broken seed that gives life to new plant. So if you feel broken today, you are sitting here and you say, I am broken. You need to realize that God is in the business of using you. Watch His method, watch His ways. How He uses who He chooses, for our God never makes a mistake. He picks up Moses from the palace. He uses him in the wilderness. He picks up Joseph from the wilderness and he uses him in the palace. Watch his method, watch his ways, how he uses who he chooses for a God never makes a mistake. You are not present here by mistake. It's not a chance. God is in absolute total control of your life. He wants to love you. And the greater news is that he forgives you. Jeremiah chapter 31 verse 34 reads, For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. That's it. No condition is being given by God that it will be taken back from us. There is no stipulation that God will forgive you if you are good enough. Jesus represents you in this new agreement. And you will find that Jesus is more than good enough. And God has accepted Jesus' sacrifice. And in accepting Jesus, God accepts you too. For those who live with God under this agreement, an amazing thing starts to happen. We find ourselves undergoing a change of heart, becoming less dysfunctional, and becoming more and more and more like Jesus every day. We find ourselves loving God. Not so that God will make us His, but because He already has. He paid the debt He did not owe. I owed the debt I could not pay. I needed someone to wash my sins away. And now I sing a brand new song. Amazing grace. Christ Jesus paid the debt that I could never pay. 
Luke chapter 2, verse number 10, verse number 13, and verse number 14 reads, But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angels, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth. Peace to those on whom his favor rests. The good news is that God's favor is available to you today. He loves you. Now when you are in exile, the choice you make is of immense importance. When you are in a place where you don't want to be. And when things have gone wrong in your life, there are, there are two choices you have. Number one, you can have a pity party. Let me know where you're having one, I will come and join you. Hey, never say no to a free lunch. You can give up. You can go on living like life, like there is no hope in life. Or number two, more importantly, you can hold on to God's promise of hope being offered to you today. It's an unchanging promise. It's a promise that will never fail. It's an agreement from God, signed by His blood. Colossians chapter 1 verse number 27 reads, and I love this verse. To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ is in you. Christ is, which is Christ in you. The hope of glory. Look at the progression which is taking place, which we are experiencing. First it was the people, available at a corporate level, we needed a priest. Then God came and we saw him. He walked and we saw him. We beheld his glory. He was near us. He was Emmanuel, God with us. And now the word of God is saying that Christ is in you. And when you invite Jesus into your heart today, it is God in you who is the hope of glory. Do you know any sick person who refuses to take medication or treatment? Do you know any married couple whose marriage is on the rocks but they refuse to see a counselor? Do you know any spiritually lost people who know they need to turn to Jesus but they refuse to follow him? Now we can sit here, we can sit here all day and try to resist what God is telling us to do. We can go through the motions of coming to church. We can say our father on Sunday and then act like orphans the rest of the week. We can go on playing games with God. But I believe God has a better plan for all of us. You may be sitting here today and you are really trying hard to understand how to find hope in the midst of your despair, in the midst of your hopelessness. You're asking yourself, do I need to read my Bible? Do I need to pray? Do I need to give a donation? Do I need to volunteer? Maybe if I do all these good things, then all of these good things will be good enough for me. If you are sitting here wondering how do I qualify for finding hope in God, ask yourself, how many good things will make you good? And how many bad things will make you lose it? 
Is it 51% good things and 49% bad things? Is that good enough for me? How many good deeds must I do? The good news is that you need to do nothing to earn His grace. In Revelation chapter 3, verse number 20, it reads, Jesus says, Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. God cannot get any closer than that. It is a beautiful reminder that in the midst of our personal struggle, we find God standing outside our door. He's standing outside of our heart ready to come in. He is right here waiting to receive us. In fact, I believe if God had a wallet, our picture would be in that wallet. If God had a refrigerator, my picture would be on the refrigerator. The word of God says he has my name written in the palm of his hand. And the good news is it is Emmanuel. God is with us. Let me close with a story. There was a little boy. He had built a small boat. He took it to a nearby lake. He placed his boat in the water. He wanted to see how it floated. And while he was enjoying it, a gentle breeze came and and the boat just went a little bit away from the boy. The boy tried to reach out, but the boat had slipped away. So he went running to his father. He brought his father so that maybe his father could reach out. But the boat had disappeared. It had been lost. The boy began to cry. He wanted his small boat. Seeing the tears of his little boy, father said, why don't we go to a store and why don't, we, why don't I buy you a boat? The little boy walked into the store with his father. As he walked into the store, he saw that there were many beautiful boats. There was a big boat and there was a nice colorful yellow boat. And then there was a boat with a sail. And then as he was looking around in the corner, he saw a small boat. And his eyes grew big. He recognized that small boat. It was a boat which he had built. So he went running to that boat. He picked it up and he he told his daddy, Daddy, let's buy this boat. Daddy said, why do you want that boat? Why don't you take the big boat? Or why don't you take the colorful boat? He said, no, Daddy, I want this boat. So the father paid the price. And the little boy walked out of the store very proudly holding the boat in his hand. And this is what the boy said to the boat. He said, little boat, little boat, you are twice loved. Once I made you with my hands, and the second time I bought you with a price. The good news is that God looks at you today and says that in the middle of your hopelessness, you are in the palm of his hand and you are twice loved. The first time he made you, he created you. And the second time he bought you with a price. And to whom God says you are free, you are free indeed. The new agreement, the new offer from God is for everyone. If today you are here, this invitation is for you. Jesus came to connect with us as an individual. He came to offer us hope. He came to extend to us an invitation to be with him. So I'm going to do something different this morning. I'm going to request you to close your eyes and bow your head, no one looking around. 
I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to make you stand. I'm not going to make you come in front. Wherever you are, with all eyes closed, with all heads bowed, it's just you and God. I'm going to extend an invitation. And I'm going to ask you a question. Will you accept Jesus today? Will you say yes to Him? And if you would like to say yes to Jesus and allow Him to work in your life and bless you, then all you need to do right now is slip up your hand and slip it down. Will you do that? I see that hand. God bless you. See that hand. See that hand. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you on my right. God bless you on my right. Number of hands going up. Let me take a little longer. Jesus came down on earth to connect us to God our Father. All you need to do is take one simple step. It's not difficult. It's not complex. Regardless of the mess up or what your church experience has been like, Jesus loves you and offers you an invitation every day and tells you to follow him. So even as all eyes are closed and all heads are bowed, just one more time I'll ask you if you've said yes to Jesus, just slip up your hand and slip it down. God bless you, God bless you, God bless you. Wow. Number of hands, more hands than I can see, but it doesn't matter because God sees you. If you have said yes to Jesus, as you leave the service this morning on the right hand side, you'll find a banner that reads, I said yes. Melanie or one of our ministry partners will be waiting for you. And if it's all right with you, can I just draw your attention to this small gift I have in my hand? This is our Christmas gift to those who said yes. And you can just walk up there and you can pick up the yes packet. It's available free. And I'll encourage you to take this. It's something which will help you. And so if it's all right with you, allow me to close with with a prayer. And even if you did not lift your hand and you're saying, oh, I missed it. You can never miss the grace of God. And it's all right. Even if you were shy and you said, I don't want to lift my hand. You know, what will the person sitting next to me, what will he or she say? It's all right. Let's just pray this prayer. And if you are saying yes to Jesus right now, just repeat this after me. Dear Jesus, I'm sorry for my sins and the life that I have lived. I need your forgiveness. I believe that you died for my sins. Help me to turn away from my mistakes and experience your blessing. And Lord, for all of us this morning, I pray that you will bless us and you will keep us. You'll make your face to shine upon us and you'll be gracious to us. And you you will turn your face towards us and you will give us peace. In Jesus' name, amen.